0: Every Sunday we gather to make much of Jesus through the preaching of God's word, worship, and fellowship together. We would love for you to come join us. We have two services, one at 830 and one at 11, and Bible study for all ages at 945. We hope you will grow in your affection for Jesus with today's message. Thanks for listening. Amen. and Thank you, Brother Gary, choir, orchestra, for leading us so Beautifully this morning we're grateful to God for each of you and we're looking forward to three o'clock this afternoon right here in this room our 48th annual God and country concert with our choir and our orchestra and the choir from First Baptist Slato First Baptist Temple and Taylor's Valley Baptist it will be a great afternoon of celebration you don't want to miss it three o'clock right here in this room. Before we pray, let me uh, share with you our mission teams who are out or are leaving. First of all, our East Asia team uh, flew into San Francisco last night and were supposed to have flown to Austin, arriving about 1 in the morning, but their flight was canceled, so uh, they spent the night in San Francisco, but they should be home this afternoon, and we're very, very grateful for their safe return our taiwan team left friday so please pray for them they will be in taiwan uh, they will be back here on july the 8th and then this wednesday our kenya team will depart and they will be out until the 14th of july our team to kenya and then our second team of the year to moldova will leave on friday and they'll be back here on the 15th of july so Um, if you're like me, you probably should have been writing that down. That's, um, too many teams for me to keep on the tip of my tongue, but, uh, remember East Asia home this afternoon, Taiwan, Kenya, Moldova all need our prayers and what a joy it is to pray for them and to send them out to serve the Lord in various parts of the world. Father, uh, thank you for your goodness, your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for the sense of your presence in this room. Thank you for allowing us to lift our voices in praise to you. And I pray that you have been pleased with the offering of worship that we have given to you on this beautiful Lord's Day. Father, we're excited about this afternoon and pray that you will bless Gary as he leads and that you will bless all of the choirs, the orchestra, all who will have a part in this afternoon's program we pray that your name will be glorified we pray that we'll honor our country and father i pray that you would do a great work in our nation we desperately need revival in our land and i pray father that the winds of revival might sweep across our land and it might even if it please you begin in this place so father i pray that you'll bless us now as we spend time in your word we pray for all of our mission teams the one coming home this afternoon, uh, the one who uh, will be in, is in ministering even at this moment, and then two others who will leave later this week for safety, protection, but most of all that your name will be glorified and that you will use them to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you. We adore you. We ask your blessing upon this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to James, the 5th chapter. James, the 5th chapter. We continue our series in uh, Faith That Works. You can probably tell from the text that we are almost done with the book of James. We have two more messages after today. Next time, verses 13 through 18, and then the last two verses, will stand alone as we cover those, and then we'll be finished with the epistle of James. And James is very blunt, very direct. He stepped all over my toes and I think some of you. Today a little, a little different. I find great encouragement in the words that James writes for us this morning. And we remember that he is writing to a suffering people, suffering believers who have been scattered all over the Roman Empire. And so the message this morning is entitled Patience in Suffering. On June the 9th, just a few days ago, in the West African nation of Mali, 100 Christians, men, women, and children in a small village were killed when 50 heavily armed Fulani Muslim militants invaded the small village And one by one began to execute the Christians. They shot some of them multiple times. Some fled into the woods but were not able to get far. And so there were 100 of our brothers and sisters in Christ who were executed that day. And then the militants burned their homes to the ground as a further message or threat to others. Open doors which is one of the foremost organizations in America that tracks Christian persecution around the world, said in a publication that came out this week that so far in 2019 in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, 345 Christians are being killed each month, 105 churches are being burned to the ground each month, and 219 Christians are being arrested and jailed Each month and that's this year of 2019 suffering because they bear the name of Christ. Now we know as we think about patience and suffering today that some suffering does come because we're believers. We're followers of Christ. Some suffering occurs simply because we're alive and we live on the face of planet Earth. Suffering sometimes seems unreal but uh, it is all too real. Malcolm Mugridge was an English writer and a newsman who slowly moved toward faith in Jesus Christ. He was an agnostic for most of his life, but he became an acknowledged Christian in his later years and summarized his faith in a popular book entitled Jesus Rediscovered. He was also the one who made known all over the world the work of Mother Teresa in his best-selling book, Something Beautiful for God. At the heart of his faith was an acceptance of suffering and deprivation as an inevitable part of the Christian life. Ian Hunter, in his book entitled Malcolm Muggeridge, A Life, wrote these words. Rather than being something to deliberately avoid Mugridge saw suffering as something basic and integral to human life, like sharps and flats to music. Take away the sharps and the flats, and there is no music. Take away suffering, and there is no life. The challenge in life is not to single out individual notes and debate them, but rather to catch the melody of the whole composition. Let's see the way James worded it. In verse 7 of chapter 5, and this is a tradition, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. The words are on the screen, or there are a few Bibles in front of you if you do not have your own copy of the Scripture. James 5, beginning with verse 7, James says, Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered And you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. May God add his blessing to his word. You may be seated. Patience. In suffering. The message this morning is not really talking about patience in traffic. Though often as we journey up and down I-35, we need to call out to God for patience. Time is precious to all of us and none of us like to wait. We don't like to wait in lines. Uh, we don't like to wait to check out at the store and we feel like we're wasting our time and we fret. And that's, I guess, part of the age in which we live. I guess you've noticed perhaps if you eat out once in a while how long we wait to eat. We wait to be seated. We wait for the menu. We wait to place our orders. We wait for our food to arrive. We wait for the check, and finally we wait for the privilege of paying the check, and the restaurant has the audacity to call the person who serves us the waiter. I think there's something wrong with that. As most of you know, I go to Haiti once a year with my son and with some other pastors to lead a pastor's conference, and each year we cover a different subject, and um A couple of years ago, I was asked to speak on suffering. And so for four days, consecutive days, I was to teach pastors in Haiti for seven hours a day about suffering. Never in my entire life have I felt so totally, absolutely inadequate. What am I an American living in the lap of luxury, what am I supposed to say to Haitian pastors who are all poor and who live in a country beset by earthquakes and hurricanes, what am I supposed to say to them about suffering? Somehow we made it through, and I hope it was helpful. But there is really only one place to go when you're dealing with that subject, and it is to Scripture and to ask the Lord to speak. So today, our text is James chapter 5, and I want us to embrace, if we can, for the next very few minutes, five things from this text. And the first is a question, what is patience? What is patience? Edward Bulwer has said, patience is not passive on the contrary it is active it is concentrated strength in verse 7 verse 8 and verse 10 the word patience or a form of patience is used by james and the greek root from which this word comes is the word makrothumia which literally means long suffering and it means one who does not easily retaliate. It is the opposite of anger. It is a word that is associated with mercy. And it is a word that is used of God himself in Romans chapter two, verse four and in first Peter chapter three, verse 20, another epistle that deals with suffering. And it is a fruit of the spirit. According to Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. In verse 11, we find a form of the word patience, perseverance. Hupomeno is the Greek word there, which means to endure. More related to circumstances, whereas macrothumia is more related to patience in regard to people and what they might or might not be doing with you or to you. Now this, this is hard. Stuff. James is not saying that there is never an occasion for protest or defending yourself. But his point here is that we should expect persecution. We should expect suffering. And often there is nothing you can do except to depend on Jesus, which is exactly what we should do. At the moment, in our country, in our culture, we have recourse. If we are unjustly persecuted, we have some form of recourse in our society in hopes of, of defense. But think about China. There's no recourse there. India. There is certainly now no recourse there. Molly, mentioned a few moments ago, apparently no recourse there. I received a text yesterday afternoon from Joseph Wong, who was leading the trip to East Asia, and we assiduously avoid saying the name of the country to which they have gone for security reasons, but I don't think there's anybody in this room who doesn't know where they went and joseph texted me yesterday and he said the fresh air of freedom is good that's what he experienced upon landing back in these united states and so we ask ourselves what is suffering or what is patience long long suffering bearing up under a load that is often tremendous. And the Scripture says often there is little we can do except the one thing we should do, and that is to depend on Jesus. So the second question of the five things that we want to embrace this morning is this. How long should we be patient? Most of us, with a few exceptions that I've noted, but it, it, most of us can be patient for a few moments. But if it goes longer than that, it really tests us severely. So how long should we be patient? James says, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 7, Perusia. The return of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. The imminent return of Christ. We should be patient until Jesus comes again. His suffering people long for His coming. A day in which all things will be made right. And when will that be? We don't know. One thing we do know is it is 2,000 years closer than it was when James wrote this epistle. So obviously the intent that James gives is that we should be patient for the duration all the way till either Jesus takes us home to be with him or Jesus comes again at which time we will all go and be with him. There's a third thing that we want to grasp from this passage, and that is be patient with each other. In verse nine, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Whoa, look out. (laughs) Be patient with one another. I think you get what he's saying, not too hard to understand. You know what happens. You go through a hard time, you're hurting, you're suffering on the inside. you may be suffering on the bodily whatever the suffering may be, we're under pressure, it's intense, and then suddenly we we explode at those who love us the most and want to help us the most husbands at wives wives at husbands parents and children brothers and sisters fellow church members at one another and James says don't do that be patient with one another when someone we love Assaults us verbally Emotionally It wounds us deeply And when we do that To someone we love It's undeserved And it drives away The ones who want to support us Not to mention the fact That it's a terrible witness Every minister understands Early on that when you serve the Lord, there are going to be people who don't either don't like you or they don't like some of what you do. And you've got to grasp that early in ministry and not take it personally. Because if you allow it to get under your skin, you won't be in ministry long. You just won't survive it. And so... I I don't know if I'm doing something or what, but anyway, I'll keep going. Um, What I have come to understand, and you have too in your environment, sometimes when people lash out and they wound you, it's not really you that they're mad at, they're there's something going on at home or something going on at work or something going on at school and so they explode and they lash out at you but you're not really the objective of their wrath and it helps us if we understand that now be patient with each other that's what, that's what James is saying It's hard. It's hard out there. We suffer, things happen. We suffer because we're alive. We suffer because we're a Christian. Suffering comes in many shapes, uh, variegated shapes and forms, James says earlier in, in, in his epistle. And so in the midst of that, be patient with one another. The people who love you the most and want to pray for you and help you and encourage you are probably in this room. And so be patient with one another. Now that brings us to the fourth thing because James wants to give us some illustrations. I like, you could tell James a pastor. He's pastor of the church in um, Jerusalem. So he gives illustrations of what he's talking about. And he gives us three illustrations. The farmer, prophets, and Job. He gives those three as examples or illustrations of patience in suffering. So in verse 7, as he writes to people who live primarily in an agricultural society, he wrote words that everyone could understand. Just as the farmer is patient and as the farmer is dependent on God, so we should be patient and dependent on God. For those who farm... Sometimes there's too much rain. Sometimes there's too little rain. Sometimes the rain comes too early. Sometimes the rain comes too late. And yet every farmer knows there's nothing I can do about that except be patient and trust in the Lord. And that's what James is saying. Trusting God with what you cannot control and honoring God with what you can control. The second illustration he gives is of the prophets in the Old Testament. Can you name a prophet other than Jonah when he preached to Nineveh? Can you name a prophet where everybody said, boy, bring it on, tell us more? <laughs> no, they hated the prophets. They persecuted the prophets. They killed the prophets. Did you know that the tradition says that Isaiah was sawed in two? Now, we have no real proof, that's just tradition, but it would not surprise me. Can you imagine what a horrible way to go? The prophets were persecuted and yet James says they patiently proclaimed the message God gave them. They obeyed God and did not miss the opportunities God gave them for faithfulness. So they didn't sit around in inactivity or sulking, except for Jonah who did do that. They were faithful in proclaiming God's Word. So, he uses farmers and prophets as illustrations. And then in verse 11, he uses Job. Read Job lately? Amazing, 42 chapters before we get to the end and find the full purpose for what God was allowing to happen in Job's life. We get to the last chapter and Job says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Earlier in the book of Job, he wrote words like this, and these kinds of words are scattered throughout the book. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Words from one who suffered named Job. There are a lot of things we could say about Job this morning. A sermon series in Job would take a couple of years. But let me summarize this for us this morning. Whoever you are and whatever you may be experiencing, remember this. It isn't yet the end of the story. God is faithful. God is good. Now this brings us to the fifth and final thing of this text found in verse 12. Patience controls the tongue. Oh, patience. Am I just totally dead? Can you still hear me? Patience controls the tongue. A faith that perseveres is trustworthy in speech. The words we speak should be consistent and dependable so that oaths are not necessary. Have you ever been with someone who who will say something that sounds pretty outlandish and you're pretty sure it's not true and And they'll look at you and I say, I I swear to the Lord, I swear to God, I swear on my mother's grave, may lightning strike me dead. James says, your words should be so trustworthy that when you speak, people know it's true. And you don't need to add any oaths in order to convince people that you are telling the truth. So James says... Patience controls the tongue. And that would be a sermon for another day of a couple of hours duration when we talk about the tongue. But then hasn't James already put us through that twice? Yes, he has. So mercifully, your pastor is going to move on and say we should have already learned what we need to learn about the tongue. Now, I want to conclude uh, this message this morning with, with a story. John Anderson worked in the coal mines in southern Illinois in the late uh, 18th century, 19th century rather, late 1800s. It's hard work. For months during the winter season, he would never even see the sun because he had to be at work in the mines before the sun rose and he didn't get out until after the sun had set. And like most miners, he was in constant debt to the company store. His future was as black as the coal in the mines that he worked in. But he and his wife had a dream, and that dream was to someday have a homestead, a piece of land for themselves and their son. Finally, he and his wife determined that the time had come, and uh, she began to take in washing, and they scrimped and they saved, they did extra work, did whatever they could till they finally had paid off the company store. And when that happened, John quit his job, he kissed his wife and his son goodbye, and he said... As soon as I can, I will send for you. He took a train to Merrill, Wisconsin, and then walked 25 miles to claim a 40-acre tract of land in Ormsby, Wisconsin. I have no idea where that is, but I bet somebody in here does. On his back, he carried a 50-pound sack of meal, an axe, and a few other essentials. It was July Mosquitoes were thick, and horsefly bites burned like fire. In the closed-in woods, it was unbearably hot and humid. But John rejoiced in his new freedom from the coal dust and the semi-slavery of mining. He was strong and tough. As soon as he found his track of land, he set about felling trees for the log cabin he would build, and then he could bring his wife and child Watching every penny he spent, because he didn't have many pennies, he bought no gloves, believing that the calluses built up in the mines would protect his hands. However, the work was different, and the axe handle on the very first day began to dig into his hand in new places, and in a short time his hands were bleeding. He missed his wife and son Insects plagued him, and in the heat his temper began to grow short. That was the first day. On the second day, the heat was unbearable. John gave vent to his pain and frustration. He had never, ever been a profane man. But the woods rang out with the sound of his curses and the chopping of his axe. On the morning of the third day, he could hardly stand up. His spirit and energy were at the bottom. The insects, the heat, his bleeding hands had defeated him. He could take it no longer. He slumped to the ground, cursed himself that he'd ever dreamed of such a thing. His shoulders shook as he sobbed and he cried out to God, God, please help me. I can't take it any longer. For a long time, he lay there on the forest floor. He was a beaten man. Then faintly, mingled with the whirr of insects and the quiet forest noises, there was a new sound. John sat up straight. He strained to hear. Though it came from miles away, there could be no mistake. It was the ring of an axe. Somewhere another man was felling trees. Another man was dreaming a dream of his own. In spite of insects, bone weariness, bleeding hands... Another father was clearing land and building for the future of his family. John stood up, grabbed his axe, and went back to work. Years later, he sat in that log cabin, called his grandchildren around him, and told them a spell story. He recalled how God had answered his prayer during a time of extreme distress... And he told them how God had encouraged him with the ring of another man's axe. Now, understand this. People may tolerate our testimonies and they may patiently hear our praise the Lord's when blessings are flowing into our lives. But they take careful note how we stand during times of adversity. Our perseverance, our patience during the difficult times is the greatest witness to our faith. And so we close today by once again looking at the eleventh verse of that chapter five, the last sentence in chapter in verse eleven. The Lord is full of of compassion and mercy. Do we believe that? If we believe that, then we will be able to persevere and be patient even in the days of very difficult suffering. And may God help us to do that. A member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's Word, to share with you that you might come into a personal saving relationship with Jesus this morning. For everyone who's already made that decision, ponder the words of James' epistle this morning. In regard to patience in suffering, ask God to give you a vision of His power and His majesty and his presence in your life to see you through all the way to the end, whether that will be the end of your current suffering here or whether that will be taking you into his presence, ask today for a measure of strength for that patience and that perseverance, which is our most powerful witness before those around us. God, help us. Help us, we pray, to be men and women of God in the face of adversity. And I pray, Father, that the one, two, three, four, or more here today who do not yet know Jesus, I pray now they will come trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing. Are you in a weekly Bible study? If you're not connected with First Baptist Belton and one of our small groups, we'd love to have you. Sunday school classes meet every Sunday morning from 945 to 1045. And no matter what age or stage of life you're in, we have a place for you.